Welcome to the Veterinarian Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. Today, I'm joined by Bruce Johnstone of Apex Design Build. He is the Director of Client Services, and Apex is one of the companies when you think about either redesigning a clinic, building a clinic from the ground up, anything related to construction, that is really what Bruce and team do. So Bruce, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me on, Isaiah. I'm super excited for the conversation. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this. I know the first time we tried to connect, we had a little bit of a connectivity issue, which I'm not sure it was on both of our sides, one of the sides, but I'm glad we finally got to get this done. And we've worked together on some joint events and other things. I've gotten to know each other. So this will be a fun conversation. Yeah, we have. And I'm looking forward to going through some good discussion here. So yeah, maybe it helps for me just to give you the quick summary of Apex before we jump into the conversation. Is that cool? Absolutely. Let's do it. Perfect. So yeah, we're a family-owned design and construction firm, and we work solely in the private healthcare market. Of course, that being both human health and animal health. Today, we're talking all about the animal health world, which I'm super excited for. But the thing that we're known for is our ability to combine that focused healthcare expertise with a comprehensive one-stop shop sort of solution for design, architecture, and construction. So ultimately, providing best-in-class experience for every client that we partner with. And what that really means is that our clients get the peace of mind to concentrate on treating their patients and doing what they do best every day while we look after their project. That's really our aim. That's what we're all about. Yeah. About construction projects, anyone that's, whether it's building a home, a hospital, whatever it is, it always seems to be stress funding, exchange. Construction projects are notorious for that kind of result, you would say. Any thoughts for people out there? Yeah, yeah. You know, they really do have this looming sort of nature to them, don't they? They can become very stressful and challenging. And typically, it's a large undertaking for doctors specifically when perhaps it's the first time. They've maybe never taken on a construction project before, so it's out of sort of the comfort zone. Or even if they have gone through construction projects before, they've got a lot on their plate as it is. And now they're taking on this additional endeavor that's going to require their time and attention. So that's pressure already. But there's fear of the unknown with construction. There's a lot of money at stake, usually. Now, these are possibly investments. You're building something and investing in your practice for the long term, and you want to do it right. But you're sensitive to budget control and sensitive to time control. And of course, the construction industry, unfortunately, has a bad rap for running both over budget and over time. So I think just going into projects, a lot of times we find our doctors are, they're already anxious. They're already nervous, perhaps. They're already kind of feeling the stress before it even starts. And then additionally, it's easy for issues to come up once construction does start that alter plans and cause time delays. And then that just adds stress. So you're right. It is stressful. It can be very stressful and challenging. Our work, our whole My ambition is to constantly improve our ability through a systematic process-driven approach to control those unforeseen issues the best we can, control budgets, control timing, so that we can bring peace of mind and help reduce the stress for our clients to the construction phase. And a lot of times, once our clients sort of engage in conversation with our team, they can start to see that. They start to say, okay, these guys have a process. They're not just doing this ad hoc. This isn't the first time for them. I can trust them to lead me through this. And we certainly can dial back that stress from the very onset and educate clients to see that 
there is a way, there is a means to our madness, there is a method to go about this project to make it go well, to dial that stress back. So look, I mean, again, by nature, construction can be challenging and stressful, but the best we can do is tackle it with a process-driven approach and do our very best to avoid that stress. Yeah, would you say as far as being able to accomplish the ability to take out some of that stress would be around maybe having everything integrated together? You talked a little bit about the approach of having the construction piece and the design piece and having some of that stuff together, because I think it's important for people to understand they've probably never gone through a project. You've done hundreds, if not thousands of projects over the years, like the different construction types and and why it may be more valuable to have either things all together or separated and what that looks like as far as maybe flow and time and cost and all that other good stuff. Yeah. There's various ways to engage for architecture and construction services. And I think what you're pointing up is just that, that Apex, we're all about seeing it from the very beginning to the very end of the process. That's not the only way to handle these projects, though. I mean, it's actually more common still in the industry that doctors will find an architect and they'll engage with an architect to do the drawings, go through the plans, the engineering, and then go out to bid to contractors and hire a contractor. Now, that approach, as we call it, the design bid-build approach, what you're dealing with obviously there is multiple parties. You're hiring the architect slash design group, buttoning down plans, you're hiring a contractor, but in effect, you're playing middleman between those two groups to try to bring it all together. You know, you're sometimes I call it the quarterback. You're kind of trying to maintain control of each play of the game. Now, alternatively, the other approach is the way that we typically operate as design build, where one firm is capable of handling the entire project from initial conceptual design through to architectural drawings, handle the construction phase as well. I mean, there's various interpretations of design build, but in the truest sense, it'll be a firm that has a design team, licensed architects in-house, construction management team, supervisors overseeing the site on site once construction starts. And that way you're not splitting between one team being responsible for plans and then one team being responsible for actually executing those plans, aka construction, build it. And so by bringing it all together, we've found that it just alleviates a lot of miscommunication. You know, anytime you're passing a set of plans onto another firm to build it, obviously there's a ton of communication that needs to be happening there. And it's communication between two separate teams that are very integral to the success of the project. Well, if we can internalize all of that, it creates a ton of accountability. It creates one firm who takes the blame when there's problems, so to speak, right? And it gives our clients the ability to come back to us if issues arise during construction phase and say, well, how did this happen? How did we arrive here? And what are you guys going to do to solve it? Right. And so that's our approach to design build approach. And just to, for a little more clarity on how we arrived there, because it is a somewhat unique, it's not as common as the traditional model of architect plus contractor. Our history comes from being in both those other positions. So being a four generation family owned company, the first two generations were architects. So my great grandfather and grandfather were architects ran a boutique architectural firm for many years before the third generation led the company into the construction field and became general contractors. And we were GCs, general contractors for a long time. So kind of we were on both sides of that deal. And then through the course of time, clients actually started coming to us and saying, 
guys are doing a great job of your piece of it, but why don't you just do it all? It would make it so much easier. So it's actually through the popular demand of our clients that we started to bring design and architecture back in-house and start to build a unique or proprietary process ourselves that follows this design-build model. And we did that, shoot, going on almost 10 years ago now, I guess. And of course, we've fine-tuned our process through the course of time, but we found it so much simple, so much better for our clients. Like I say, so much easier to control budgets, control time, and create accountability for our clients at the end of the day makes their life easier. That's what we're trying to do. Yeah, I think the way that I hear it, and again, not being in your industry, just trying to kind of simplify things is you can go out and try to organize and be the project manager yourself, or you can find a team that does it, work with them, and then just have one point of contact versus multiple. And I think there's a huge difference in that from what's your time worth and trying to chase things down and making sure things get done on time. And that's the one thing I know through our conversations that is really cool when you can go to one team and see their work from start to finish instead of having it passed off to where you can't put the blame on someone else. Say, hey, that was so-and-so's fault because they didn't understand that. You can be like, well, you know, that's what we do. So it's on us. And I think that's a great option for people looking. Something that's really fairly new, but also exciting is done a lot of work out of the Chicagoland area right now and work more in the Midwest in You've also started to expand outside of that. You want to share a little bit about what you're doing. How do you do that? And then just what the opportunities have been. Sure. Yeah. So based in Chicago, like you say, and and that's where we started. And that's where we've been based out of since the inception of the company. I suppose the geographical expansion kind of across the Midwest and beyond started with just the idea of the fourth generation. My brothers and I, when we came into the company, we we said, look, we've got a family-owned firm here that has a really strong reputation in the Chicago market, but look how much expertise we've accrued and built over the course of the past few generations, specific to healthcare. Um, why don't we expand on that and take it further? So in part, it was you know young blood coming into an established company and wanting to do something, having the entrepreneurial bug, wanting to do something bigger and more fun. And, you know, part of it was that. Another part of it was we, after just a couple of years of being included in the business, we started getting inquiries from doctors outside of just the Chicago market. And we said, look, we're based in Chicago. We really don't have the capability to service you in Michigan or even neighboring states, Indiana, Wisconsin. But as this design build process started to take hold, because just to put some time onto all this, my brothers and I came into the company between 2008 and 2010, which on the back end of the financial crisis, probably the worst, but at the best time to come into business. Sure. Because <laughs> it was kind of like we get to, in a way, start over with everything that we have been doing to innovate and improve. We kind of had that reset button. So it was an opportunity to, to start to consider how do we take this strong brand, strong reputation, strong expertise and take it to further abroad to doctors and other markets. And so that was kind of from the outset of our involvement in the company, something that we wanted to do while being very sensitive to the fact that doing that and maintaining and protecting a strong reputation that we had were kind of two competing agendas. It's difficult to scale operationally a construction company into a design and construction company at the same time as growing geographically. So it was one step at a time, but I guess back to your real question of the reason and then how we're doing it, the reason heavily hinged on 
the fact that we are beginning to get inquiry from doctors outside of Chicago, and we kind of had this desire to do so. And we had the the uh, some really good opportunities with existing clients who were growing their location quantities into multiples nearing a dozen locations. And as they grew, they started to move outside of Chicagoland themselves, and we were able to grow with them. And that was really what initiated the growth across the Midwest. And as we could prove that our process could sustain that kind of expansion, that really just started to motivate our interest in taking up inquiries from other doctors outside of even the Midwest. So now how we're doing it, I mean, that's kind of how it started. Now how we're going about delivering those projects, you know, across the Midwest, especially the upper Midwest, we deliver the full design and build offering. And we're design build developers in the sense that sometimes we're even owning and leasing back to our clients. We're design builders in the sense that clients can just hire us for design, architect, and construction services. So that full suite, if you will, or full offering works very well in areas where we can maintain the quality, the system, the process of taking it from front to back. But beyond the Midwest, we're still working with doctors in the capacity of design and architecture, almost along the lines of back to those two different methods of taking on a project, almost along the lines of the traditional design bid build process but informed by the design build process. In other words, we're partnering with local contractors in other markets where we are not acting as the contractor, but we're integrating them into our process much, much earlier. In other words, during early conceptual design development and before we get to the architectural stage where plans are locked in, we want contractors to be selected and budgeting our plans so that we can have that budget input and we can have that timing input as we do in our design build process where we're fulfilling the construction phase. And so, yes, we're relying on local construction capabilities from local GCs, general contractors that have veterinary experience, ideally, but we're doing it in a modified approach to take advantage of value of the design build model that we know. That's kind of how we're doing it in a nutshell. And we've got some veterinary clients in California. We have one in Texas. We have one in Pennsylvania. So we're kind of uh, across the country. And what we're proving is that that expertise that we knew we had is in high demand. Veterinarians are looking for a firm who understands their workflow, understands what they do and what their needs are from a functional standpoint, a finishes, durability standpoint, what all the equipment that goes in these spaces. There's a ton of expertise that goes with. I was going to ask, so if I'm a veterinarian sitting in, let's say, Maryland, and I'm like, yeah, I love that. Do you help find the general contractor as far as like making that build process? Do they bring them to you? Do they need to have that person already found? Or do you say, Dr. Williams, it's this contractor. We have a relationship or we know them through our network. They would be the best fit for you in that area. It works both ways. So sometimes, yeah, veterinarians will come to us and say, look, I've already got a contractor. I just need the design architecture piece, and that works. That works well. But a lot of times they don't, and they actually are relying on us to help put that together. And so what we do, of course, we have relationships nationally with various industry partners, distributors, lending institutions, real estate brokerage firms, and these groups have uh, local representation nationally. So kind of anywhere we go, I can lean on our industry partners to say, hey, who's the best, you know, most reputable, high expertise 
builder in the area and let's get a couple of them and let us interview them. Now, we have our own process or approach and how we identify the contractors that bring the right set of expertise and communication skills and bandwidth and all these things that make for a smooth process. We have our ability to identify which are good partners and which maybe aren't for this specific project. So yeah, I guess the short answer is yes, we certainly do help our clients identify and determine who the construction partner is. But it's also important to us that we're comfortable with that partnership because back to the whole communication thing, there has to be really good communication between us and the construction partner in whatever part of the country that we're in. Absolutely. And you talked about it a little bit just with having veterinary expertise and understanding. And for anyone that doesn't follow Apex on LinkedIn, I would highly recommend it just because you guys put out pictures of the finished product and it's always like beautiful and fantastic, regardless of whether it's veterinary clinic, a dental office, whatever it is, it's just beautiful spaces. So it can give people ideas if they are looking just, oh, I like that or I don't like something, but I would encourage you to do that. The trends and styles and kind of using the space functionally, you mentioned that. Can you touch a little bit on A, what you're seeing? Are there any changes or things that you're starting to do differently just from what you've learned over time? And again, not to ask for the secrets that you guys have developed, but in general, if I'm a veterinarian, how do I think about some of these things? outside of just, ooh, that looks nice. Sure. Yeah, I mean, look, from a trends and styles sort of perspective, so much of it varies by region. Literally anything from earthy rustic to high-end boutique. The bottom line really is that veterinary clinics need to be attractive for the patients and clients alike, uh, right? So we, when we approach a project, it's very specific to that practice, to that hospital. What are the requirements, first and foremost? But then who are we catering to? What's the clientele looking for? The copy and paste of one clinic to the next just doesn't work. You're not going to attract the appropriate clientele unless you're building the space with that clientele in mind. So, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say that there's a blanket rule, blanket statement sort of rule for trends and styles that should be taken into account of right now. But certainly one thing that you mentioned is there's the functionality and the aesthetics side of things as we go into a design or planning effort. And both need to be very well balanced. The practice needs to accommodate all the requirements specific to whatever veterinary services are being provided. And then the aesthetic needs to be in line with what's expected by the clientele. Too often it's driven by the owner, right? Or driven by the veterinarian saying, oh, I love this, that, or the next look. Certainly, some of that can be integrated. Let's not build a super high-end boutique practice in a rural community that's going to scare away the clientele. Let's be sure that we're matching the expectation with what they see when they get there. There's been some interesting sort of advancements, of course, and just to touch a little bit on what we've sort of seen over the course of time, some advancements in the client experience, you might say, more emphasis on fear-free certification, for one thing, that came out within the last five years or so. It's a super popular thing to implement into practices, but it's not necessarily a trendy thing. It's actually proven, you know, studied research to be a very effective way to improve the experience of the patient. Trying to reduce anxiety, reduce the stress, which in turn, oftentimes after large procedures, can reduce the hospitalization or the extent of uh, follow-up treatment and care after a large surgery, for example. So much correlation between stress of the pets through the course of their visit or their treatment and how fast recovery might be. 
it's really been interesting to follow along and to be part of the uh, advancements and watch practices implement these types of fear-free implementations. Some simple examples. One thing that we've done a lot of is species separation in common area, waiting rooms, corridors, even exam rooms to have cat rooms separate from dog rooms sort of thing. You know, the visuals for small animals, color is one part of it, but a lot of it is having space where they need it and having a confined area where they can be more comfortable where they need it, not feeling trapped. There's so much that kind of goes into thinking through the experience of the patient to reduce risk, or sorry, reduce stress. One thing we've done a ton of, which I know this isn't really a new thing, but we've done a lot of recessing scales even in the floor so that dogs don't have to be stepping up onto them or lifted onto them. And look, I mean, sometimes it's the very first time the dog's ever been to the veterinarian. Why would this be anything that they're comfortable with doing, right? Going through this whole process of coming into the space, getting checked in, getting weighed in, getting into an exam room, everything is new and different. So there's been a trend that's certainly been one that's been evolving over the course of the past few years. There's been some other fun things along the way. Drinking fountains for dogs in waiting rooms has been kind of a uh, recent addition to a couple of projects. You know, and there's obviously functional from a layout or workflow standpoint, there's functional things that are taken into account of dual entries into exam rooms and waiting and then back in a treatment area. Those are far more common, but I don't know if that touches on your question at all, but it's constantly evolving for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think there's plenty there that I'm sure you could share all kinds of stories about odd requests or things, but we don't necessarily need to dive into each and every one. And I'm sure there's some people that are easier to work with and, than others, just like for any veterinarian, they know that they have certain patients and clients that are much easier than others. If I'm a veterinarian, what can I do to help ensure a project goes smoother? Is there anything that they can be doing, whether it's upfront, during, things that work, things that don't work? Yeah, I mean, so much of it comes down to planning, right? Planning, planning, planning. The more pre-construction due diligence that's done, the more seamless the project will go. By nature, like we said, it's full of unforeseen things happen that are difficult to predict. However, careful thought and pre-planning is a large part how to reduce those things and address them before they come up to make things go smoother. Another thing is just having a long-term sort of perspective on what you're doing with the project, not only to make the project itself go smoother, but then as you move into the space and start working into the space, make sure that goes smoothly as well for doctor and staff and clients and patients alike. Making the project go as smooth as it can is great. And that's why I say so much pre-planning and early due diligence is important with the help of experts, with the help of expert planners and so on. But again, just to also think longer term for the practice that we're not overlooking something that should be done now to make things better later. That's a big part of it too. So yeah, there's just a lot of value and emphasis that we put on pre-planning. Think about as much as you can ahead of time, put something in place, strategy in place that will by all means make it go smoother. Absolutely. And one of the things that I wanted to ask, and I've kind of switched on the tail end of episodes to switch up the question. I know I initially gave you one and I'm going to switch it and we'll see what you think, but it's what questions or what question would you have for me? And it can be anything that you want to ask, but anything that you think would be valuable or anything that's top of mind for you? I don't know, Isaiah, you're a wealth of knowledge and resource. I could ask you all sorts of things, couldn't I? I guess from the perspective of a veterinarian, 
I would always be looking for resources. I would always be looking for, hey, what do you see in my practice that I shouldn't be doing or could be doing better? And who can help me with that? Can you help me with that, Isaiah? Or can someone else in your network, someone else that you know, help me with that? You know, I find a lot of times with clients that they're in practice because they're super passionate about their work, super passionate about what they do. But a lot of times what that does is that it puts the business side and the health of the practice itself in second priority, which isn't all bad, but I think doctors should think about giving that some time. And so knowing you, I know that you're a wealth of resource. I would come to you and say, Isaiah, when you look at my practice and the health of my practice, not only from a financial standpoint, but just operationally, is there anything that you see that I should be improving? And is there anyone that can help me with that? It's just good to kind of run through an audit every so often on your practice and the health of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. And I appreciate the compliment. And it actually made me start to think of something else that I thought of earlier and jotted down that we, as we were chatting, that I want to come back to. So I don't want to finish on that, but I think that's a great point. And I think for anyone that owns a business, right? Like they're going to have professional partners that are their go-to that they trust. And you can lean on them and ask those questions and say, hey, this might be outside of your expertise, or maybe there's someone else in your network that could help me here, but this is what's going on. I think just being open and vulnerable to say like you don't know everything because no one does. Like I know between you and me, Bruce, like we've had conversations, there's plenty of things that we don't know about and that we're always trying to learn or asking other people about. And it's okay to say that you don't know and ask someone else in your network to help. So I agree. I think that's a great point. But one thing I was thinking about earlier and jotted down, and I should have brought it up right away, in veterinary medicine, you'll see a generational shift from a parent to a child. And you've kind of experienced that through Apex and now getting to work with your brothers. Was that a easy transition to make those shifts? And how have you adapted best to make working with family easier? Because I know that's not always the easiest thing. And I'm not trying to throw anyone under the bus or get your brothers to, to get ticked off at you after they hear this, but anything that you've experienced that you think could be good advice for whether it's the parent transitioning to someone that is their child or vice versa that you feel like could be helpful? I mean, for us, I know in our own situation, we from third generation to fourth generation was a much smoother transition than from second to third. And so much of it, it's funny because, yeah, certainly in our own family, in our own business, we've talked about this a lot. And I would say we're very fortunate, very blessed to have sort of a difference in skill set, difference in what we're good at, what we're passionate about, so that we can focus on different parts of the business, my brothers and I. The generation before us wasn't so much like that. And so what that does is inevitably creates more conflict. They're at each other more. It's very difficult in a lot of these situations to maintain a civil personal relationship with your own family who you know so well when it comes to business because a lot of times business can get in the way of that it's money issues it's authority issues who's the boss it's what's the vision what's the future of the company it's so many things and it can get personal so quick i think a lot of it what it comes down to is being super transparent with your business partners, whether it's your parent or your son or daughter taking over the practice on where you're at. What are your objectives with the business, with the practice? And how do the two mesh? Are you in completely different universes or are you on the same page to some degree? Just some things need to be more aligned. And we've seen some go really well and some go badly. 
And usually the ones that go well are, even if there's big differences between generations, the new generation coming in and the one that's there and worked so hard, so blood, sweat, you know, it's been their equity for so long. To have transparency and be really clear about what your vision is, where you're going with it, and make it align. There's nothing wrong in those situations with drawing on the help of advisors and folks that have assisted with transitions because they can help you even provide like a blueprint, a sort of a process to follow to go through it, right? Like anything, process helps. So yeah, I guess my overarching comment on all that, Isaiah, is just be transparent. Come right out and say for what it is. What's your desires? What are you trying to get out of it? Usually there's common ground that can be found. And once you find that common ground, your life and your relationships are going to be easy, uh, much easier, and the practice is going to survive and thrive. On the flip side, both are at stake. So it's worth it to be transparent. It's worth it to call in the outside consulting expertise when you need it. And it's worth it to follow a plan. Absolutely. Yeah. Love that. Thanks for uh, sharing a little bit about, you know, family matters. <laughs> I know that's not always the easy thing to talk about, but that was great. And I think there's a lot there that people can take away outside of just the discussion around building and designing and creating that new space to work and serve clients and patients in. So for someone that's interested, wants to connect, talk through maybe ideas and what they're wanting to do, where would you direct them? How do they reach out? Where's good resources that you guys put together for someone that's maybe thinking about the process? Yeah, our website is a really good resource, both for information and to reach out and make contact with us. And then someone will be in touch quick or fast response. Uh, you'll be directed to the appropriate person. But yeah, we're easily accessible. We love having conversations, even if it's just for the sake of having a conversation. So please reach out. Website is best. It's apex, A-P-E-X, designbuild.net. I know you'll probably tag that. I will. I'll make sure people have it. And I will also tag Apex on all the different social medias that we talked about, Instagram, LinkedIn, Pinterest, any other ones that are good to be able to see the work. So I think the work does speak for itself and it is awesome to see. So Bruce, thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. I know some people are going to get some good information out of this just from the standpoint of it's not something you go through every day. It's maybe something you once or twice in a career. So what you're doing is super helpful and it's a big expense, but it's also a big investment and can certainly impact a business very possibly. Awesome. Yeah, well, thanks for including me here, Isaiah. Enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should consult your team before implementing anything. Isaiah Douglas is a partner of Vincere Wealth Management. Isaiah is registered in the state of Indiana, California, Texas. The biggest compliment you can give to this podcast is to share it with a friend. Reviews help the show get found, and Apple Podcasts is the platform that predominantly is how people listen to the show. If you have three to five minutes, you like the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts, give us an honest rating and review that'll help more people find the show. For all of today's links and information, head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can subscribe via your favorite podcast platform platform so you won't miss another episode. Finally, if you'd like more information, insights, and have the ability for your voice to be heard and interact with show guests, join the private Facebook group. You can go to the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll all the way to the bottom where it says about your host and then click on the Facebook icon. That'll bring you into the Facebook group. I'll approve you. You'll be in. And then I'd love to hear your questions, feedback, and anything that you'd like to see added to the show. So with all that, thank you so much for listening. I'll be talking again to you soon.